Welcome to the Wags of SCI podcast, where we discuss life, love, and caregiving after spinal cord injury. Hosted by Elena Pauly and Brooke Paget. Both of our partners are quadriplegics. And after connecting online in 2017, we began the advocacy and support group WAGS of SCI, which is an acronym for Wives and Girlfriends with Spinal Cord Injury. We know firsthand the challenges that come with living this lifestyle. And our mission is to spread education, awareness, and positivity from our unique perspectives. Us each week as we tackle deep discussions around balancing life as a caregiver and a lover to someone with a spinal cord injury. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Wags of SCI podcast. Here we go. Hello, and welcome back to the Wags of SCI podcast with your hosts, Selena Pauly and Brooke Paget. Today we have Andrea Gerard, who is one of our Wags of SCI from the community, and she is going to be speaking to us about her personal experience with. Polly Amory. Yes, we're really excited. But before we get into that, big shout out to two of our episode sponsors today, Wish Art Brain and Spine Law. Uh, this is the first one. You can click on wagsofsci.com and click on our legal resources tab to learn more about Robin Wishart and what she does for the Wags of SCI community. Robin has been working behind the scenes with our community for the past three years. And she helps us in every which way we can think of when it comes to writing letters or pressuring insurance. She also works with WAGs and their partners to do everything from navigating insurance to helping with home support and setting up medical appointments in your area. She has a vast network all through North America and she's here to help. So again, visit WAGsOSDI.com and click on the legal resources tab if you have any questions or want to contact Robin. Also sponsoring our episode today is Annalisa and John's company, Rolling in Paradise. Annalisa is a proud WAG of SCI. Her partner, John, is quadriplegic. We love to support WAG-owned and operated businesses. These two are amazing. They are fully VA approved and they provide everything from hand cycles to wheelchairs to off-road mobility adaptive devices to wheelchairs to lifts to accessories they have everything and they have all the ins and outs about how to navigate insurance and approvals so if you want to support a WAG and quad owned business please visit rollinginparadise.com or contact them on instagram at rollinginparadise and just let them know that the WAGs of SCI sent you so today we are getting back into polyamorous relationships. Mm-hmm. We are super excited. This is a hot topic. This is a quite a taboo topic in our community. And so we did a few part series a little while ago. You can scroll back into our previous episodes, wherever you listen to podcasts to get part one through three. And so this episode, as promised, we are talking to an actual WAG of SCI who is in a polyamorous relationship with her partner. And she's going to explain her experiences, which, you know, like we were talking about before we started recording the episode, every single relationship is so, so different. And we're used to that being in the SCI community. So this is even more different. So we're really excited to talk to you. Andrea, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's great to meet with you guys. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, it's great. Yeah, you bet. You bet. So just a quick background. You are part of the WAGS of SCI community. I am. And how long have you been a part of that? Would you like to share sort of how you got involved? 
Yeah, absolutely. So with the WAGs of SCI group itself, um, it's honestly hard for me to remember. My my partner is paraplegic. He has an L1, L2 complete injury. Um, but I think it was probably three years ago or so, maybe a little bit longer that I actually started, you know, d- getting into the community and talking with fellow WAGs and I kind of feel like I'm on the peripheral of the community because my partner who is paraplegic is not my primary partner and he does not rely on me as a caregiver in any way, shape or form. So I am not as deep in the community as a lot of your listeners might be. That's super interesting. And I have so many, I I was like listening to you and I'm like, I have so many questions already. (laughs) It's super interesting to hear um, about this just because like I, you know, Elaine and I are both from Vancouver, Canada. We we don't get out much. (laughs) We don't really know what's out there as far as Alberta, actually. (laughs) Oh, are you? Yes. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. (laughs) Okay. Fellow Canadians unite. (laughs) That's cool. Alberta, land of the free, pretty much now. Um, That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, So, okay. So when did you meet your partner? And right off the bat, what do you, what is polyamory, what does polyamory mean to you specifically? And what do you mean when you say he's not my primary primary partner? Okay. So... I've been with Barkley, my anchor partner, who is the partner's paraplegic for, oh, geez, nearly six years now. I think it'll be six years in January. Um, and we met through a local polyamorous community group. Um, we It was a Facebook group of all things. But the lead post where I saw him initially was somebody had made a post asking what your barriers for dating are right now and what's making it complicated. Because especially within, you know, the non-monogamous community when there are so many other factors that go into how you spend your time and the way that you choose to invest your time in people. And it's it's difficult to schedule, whether it's because you have other partners, your working relationships, your kids, because there are a lot of people with young families in the polyamorous community. So, and my own barrier was really my lack of transportation at the time and things like that. I had come out of a prior relationship and had, was kind of figuring out my own way within non-monogamy at that time. And he had posted and mentioned something about working where he works. And then also that his wheelchair was a barrier. And I remember reading that and thinking, well, that's absolutely stupid. You know, that's ridiculous. I mean, he's in a wheelchair, so what? I'm sure he has a functional brain and can have a conversation. So I I sent him a message from there and, you know, it wasn't, it was probably a week or so of us, you know, chatting back and forth before I really asked him about his injury in depth because I just, at the time, I wanted to suss out whether he was a good person or he was, you know, you know how online dating goes. I Sorry, I'm very awkward. <laughs> no, we we get it. We get it. And it must be really, really hard, especially nowadays. Like I remember the last time I was online dating was like, mm-hmm. oh man, over 12, 15 years ago. So that was like, I, I've kind of missed the latest as to what it's like. So I- and it's so yeah. bad. <laughs> I mean, I haven't used online dating at all in, I don't know, probably four or five years, but it's just- 
it doesn't get any better. I remember, you know, the early days of like plenty of fish and things like that. Yes. It's never gotten any better. Oh, wow. Elena, did you ever use plenty of fish? Did you ever like browse plenty of fish? No, I I didn't. But I remember like when Facebook first came on the scene and being like, what is this? Or what was a Nexopia? Do you remember that? (laughs) Oh my God. You guys remember Nexopia? We are old. (laughs) <laughs> yes. And like the photo was like microscopic of the person. <laughs> and you're like, what am I looking at? It's kind of, but you know what? Even with that, like, I think the biggest concern that I had was like safety, even then, because like, yeah. Um, I remember meeting with one guy who was like on the football team from this Nexopia. Um, and I remember meeting him and like he was super pushy and forceful and weird. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I can do this again, especially when you're like in a vulnerable position. And like at that time, it was pretty normal to be like, hey, do you want to come over to watch a movie or whatever? Right. Like nobody would be like, hey, do you want to come over and hook up? I'd be like, oh, do you want to come over and watch a movie? And then you're in the person's home and it's like, what do you do? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, the memories. I know so so many. (laughs) (laughs) So many memories. Yeah. So the last time you used online dating was for um was for meeting up with him correct we met through a facebook group um i have met other partners since he and i have been together through like tinder and things like that and yeah it's the dating community is kind of awful no matter where you are but that's also as a you know female identifying person and all of the layers of things Mm -hmm. that go along with that sure I feel really lucky insofar as like, I feel the way that we met was pretty organic based on the polyam community. And we've been together, like I said, for six years. And I have, if I start gushing, I'm not going to stop. And then your listeners are going to get all awkward. (laughs) No, I'm very glad that we found each other. Uh Yeah. There's no such thing as awkward. That's amazing. Six years is a long time to be in a relationship. And you don't live together. No, we don't live together. We live in the same city and we actually live about a mile apart. So we're able to see each other as often as we can with our work schedules. And I actually just got home from spending the weekend at his house with my daughter. So our families are pretty interconnected as well. I really love it. Well, okay. So you had mentioned anchor partner. Can you explain what an anchor partner is to people who may not know? Polyamory is tricky when it comes to language, because the terms that we use to describe ourselves and our familial networks and our partners, it's constantly changing, much the same way that there's always revisions being made to the language about sexual orientation and identity as well. So with my relationship with Barclay, we have decided ever since we've been together that there will be in terms of practicality, a certain amount of hierarchy. He is married. He's been with his wife. I think they were together for five or six years at the point in time that I met him. You know, he has a family with her. They have, so, and I decided, we decided together that we would not really have that cohabitation in all likelihood. So, and then I have my, my daughter as well. I have a toddler with a former partner So there's a certain amount of hierarchy because for us, the kids always come first. You know, our relationships with each other are really fluid. Um, We spend a lot of time together as much as we can. You know, our kids are practically sisters, emotionally speaking. So, you know, the adult side of our relationship, you know, 
it is what it is. And then the rest of it, we just have a really good pattern going, I think. Wow, Not that's really, really cool. So, but I don't call him my primary partner because I don't live with him. Um, the partner mm. that I live with is my primary partner. He, some people would say they're a nesting partner because you share a nest with them. Um, and then I call Barkley my anchor partner because he is as important to me as my primary partner is. He, really, he anchors me. He's, he's that person for me. So wow. I call him my anchor partner because I also really hate in terms of hierarchy, the language that makes somebody sound like they're secondary because mm. he's not a secondary person to me at all. He is every bit as important to me as my primary partner is. We just, there are certain limits to the way that our lives interact, if that makes any sense. Okay. I have a question for you that just kind of popped up into my head. Um, what about time? Like, how do you have the time? Um, I want to say equally allocated to each individual that you are in a relationship with and then including yourself and then your family. Like how does that interconnect? Oh, it's difficult. Um, time really, you start realizing once you have kids, how little time you really have for yourself in general, but with relationships, non-monogamous relationships, I, that was one of the first things that I learned is how, valuable of a resource time is for me. And I mean, my primary partner and I, we live together, you know, I see him very frequently. Barkley has a work schedule where he's frequently away from home for periods of time. So, you know, we've gotten into a pattern where we'll spend usually a weekend together. I'll go out to his house. I'll take my daughter with me. We'll spend time as a family. And we just enjoy the time that we have. And then sometimes we'll have, you know, one or two dates during the week while he's home. But otherwise, yes, the bulk of his time is spent with his wife and his daughter. And, you know, and then our families overlap where they do. Right. And then my second question for you. I mean, that's amazing. You must be you must have planners out the yin yang. You're like this day. This is what's happening here. <laughs> Google um, calendar is my very best friend. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Especially being a mom and of a toddler, like, you know, you, you give so much of yourself to your children. And how does that work in terms of like explaining your relationship styles to your children? Um, do you find that your, your child is very accepting of it? Do you spend some time explaining? Like how oh, does she's that? She's never known any different. Right. Um, okay. So her father is a former partner of mine. Um, that relationship ran its course, but I have always been non-monogamous. So Barkley has always been Barkley to her, has always been a grown-up who loves her, who treats her basically like one of his own, you know, is there a safe person that she can trust and rely on? but not her dad. She calls him by his first name. And I have a similar relationship with Barclay's daughter as well, as well, pardon, where I've been in her life since she was very small. And she has always known me as being daddy Barclay's girlfriend. Okay. Wow. So we're, we're very open about it. And yeah, I mean, that's awesome. you know, growing up in, you know, the nineties, the early two thousands where people weren't necessarily as open about having blended families or having single parent families. I've noticed it's a lot, you know, 
quite a bit more common because we've shed a lot of the shame mm-hmm. about that. And, you know, most of my daughter's friends come from blended families or single parent families. There's just so much variation. So that's kind of how we've chosen to approach it is families look like a whole bunch of different things. That's very, thanks for sharing that. That's really, really cool. Um, when did you decide that, because you had mentioned earlier that you've always been this way. When did you kind of figure out that this is how you wanted to, this was your relationship style? Um, I can remember being as young as hmm, 18 or 19 and thinking about what I would want a relationship to look like to me. And for me, there was always two or three partners and that big, messy, blended family. And, you know, being that it was 2009 and I lived in central Alberta, you think about that and you think there's just, there's no way I live, I live in Alberta. Let's be realistic. So I shelved right. that through that aside. Um, and then I was in a monogamous relationship for a number of years afterwards. And that relationship near the end of the relationship, we started wanting to explore non-monogamy. It's a pattern that a lot of initially monogamous couples kind of go through. So where a couple wants to open their relationship or look for a third person, a unicorn, and and things kind of go a little mm. bit sideways from there. It, it gets to be kind of cliche sounding, but, you know, even though that initial exposure to non-monogamy for me was something that was not the most healthy, I came out of that relationship absolutely dead certain that I didn't want to ever be in a non-monogamous relationship again. And that was seven years ago, six or seven years ago. So that's kind of how I've gotten to where I am now. When I met Barkley, it was always, our relationship has always been non-monogamous. He's been with his wife for, you know, 10, 11, 12 years. So it, it's, and I have no intention of ever being monogamous ever again. Hmm. And then what happens? So let's say you've spent a weekend together and then you both go home. So then what happens in terms of like communication? Do you have rules and boundaries around communication while he spends the time with his wife um, or other people? Or you go and spend time with other people? Like how does that work with texting and phone calling and, and all that stuff? Um, we don't typically spend a lot of time talking on the phone with each other, partially because he does shift work. So, you know, there's a lot of times where he'll be on shift and it'll be an absolutely god awful hour of the morning and he'll be messaging me because, you know, oh, I was thinking about you and I miss you. Well, you know, I'm not going to get that message at three in the morning and reply. So the long and short of it is we primarily text while he's away. Um, if you've ever been in a relationship where your partner works away, you know, fly in, fly out or what have you, you kind of get used to that pattern of talking when you can, interacting when you can. Um, now, my relationship with him, more often than not, I don't hear from him a ton while he's home because he is focusing on his wife and his daughter. You know, we'll message at the end of the day or he'll pick up his phone every once in a while. But when he's home, you know, we focus on our kids around us and our immediate families. And then most of our interaction is while he's out at work on shift. 
Interesting. That is so interesting. I have a question about his wife. Is his wife also uh, polyamorous with other, like, do they have other? Um, yeah. Yeah. So they have uh, other was, people they bring in as well. <laughs> um, so yes, his wife is also polyamorous. She has had a couple partners during the time that I've been with him. She does have another partner at present. Um, so, and you know, their journey into non-monogamy isn't my story to tell, but I am very lucky. She's one of my favorite people. Aww. I would, I would, <laughs> we've made a lot of really obnoxious sister wives jokes because I have a very irreverent sense of humor. <laughs> so, but she's one of my favorite people and I would want to have her as a friend, even if our lives didn't interact because of her husband because we both love the same man. So she's, we're, we're lucky, you know, there's, I've had um, prior partners have other partners that I don't get along with, or I don't necessarily want to interact that much. But with her, I'm really, really lucky. We've, we've definitely had a few times where we've clashed or have, not really understood appropriate emotional boundaries and things like that. We've had a few things to work through, but overall, you know, we support each other and we care about each other. And yeah, I'm really lucky. That's really cool. And um, because I'm so unfamiliar with this lifestyle, excuse my um, naivety. Uh, I'm going to ask this anyways, because I'm very curious. Do you guys... um, like they have other people in their little networks. Do you guys ever have like shared, like do you ever share sexual experiences with their partners or do you keep it strictly between you and him? Uh, we have preferred to just keep our our sex lives between, you know, individual partnerships. Okay. So there isn't really any overlap there. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's, no. that- and it's a totally a valid question to ask. Honestly, it's, it's more, and in, in, I don't know, we just haven't really had a ton of interest in it. Interesting. But okay. I mean, I also know lots of friends within the non-monogamous community where that is definitely a part of their lives with their partners and, you know, power to them. Um, but yeah, no, it's just not something that I have a ton of interest in myself and I'm pretty ADHD as yeah. well. So, <laughs> Would you say that it's more normal to um, do that kind of thing, like kind of mix and match partners or more normal to kind of keep it um, just singular? Um, I think that the type, quote unquote, type of non-monogamy that you are thinking of would more be along the lines of swingers where it is more you know couples interacting and swapping partners or having group sex um but i am a squishy cuddly person who you know (laughs) if it it's never really been something that i've been all that interested in myself okay and that's that's really cool that you explained that because i know a lot of followers that are probably listening to this are probably like me and like thinking about you know, orgies and swapping partners and... <laughs> oh, absolutely. So well, why don't I back up then and then explain at least what my experience with the different types of polyamory is like. Okay. So if you think of non-monogamy as an umbrella, and I'm sure I could probably find a graphic somewhere for this, you can label offshoots of it. Polyamory would be, and of course you're mixing Greek and Latin, but... 
Polyamory would be multiple romantic relationships. Um, there are forms of polyamory where there is a don't ask, don't tell agreement between the core partnership where they don't want to hear about their partner's sexual exploits or dates with other people as long as they know that they're being safe or whatever their agreement is. So there's don't ask, don't tell. There is a common term would be kitchen table polyamory, where the goal is for all of the partners to have a relationship where you can feel comfortable sitting together at a kitchen table and sharing meals, which is in a lot of ways what my relationship with my anchor partner, Barkley, is like, because we literally wake up in the morning and, you know, someone is up with the kids and allowing someone else to sleep in a little bit longer. And then, hey, there's coffee on when you're up. And then there would be um, swinging, which is more friendship based, but there's still rules and negotiations that are made between part people who are swapping partners or doing group activities and there's a whole bunch of other branches as well but those are the really core ones i would say okay that's really really that is an awesome explanation thank you for absolutely explaining that yeah and then i know that we talked about this briefly on on one podcast episode where brooke and i both had no idea what this meant and we were sort of um googling as we spoke but can you explain what a unicorn is yes okay so a unicorn is within given this term because it is a you know a fantasy and often unattainable fantasy where a previously monogamous heterosexual couple male female part male partner female partner together look for a bisexual single female partner to date together ah. so we are looking for our unicorn um now bearing in mind here that there are there are bisexual women out there who do want to date a couple and have it be she's dating the couple. Mm -hmm. But unicorns within the non-monogamy community, unicorn hunters, so these previously heterosexual couples who are looking for the mythical female unicorn, often get a lot of flack because there's a lot of imbalance in terms of power in a relationship okay. like that. Where true, equitable, healthy non-monogamy would be where each individual person has... So if we have a couple A and B and then a third person C, C has individual relationships with A and with B mm. and with them together as a couple. And then the couple A and B has those, you know, it's multifaceted relationships where one of the big problematic things with unicorn hunting is that this third person doesn't come from the same starting point right, as the okay. initial couple where that couple has all of that history together and will no matter what take precedent over this third person so okay. there's there's an imbalance of power involved and it gets really problematic and people get hurt and i think that if a lot of people realize that you know unicorn hunting it often involves considering basically treating somebody like a walking, talking sex toy. Mm. Nobody wants to hear that they're, you know, that that's what they're treating somebody like, or that's what they're looking for. So you have to balance that. And let me see if I can find the website. 
And would you like so does a does a unicorn have to be a female? It can be male or female. It can be male or female. Um, I've heard the male unicorn be referred to as a dragon in ah. the past. Um, I could get into a whole conversation about bi erasure and things like that. Um, but it is quite a bit less common that I've seen for there to be a bisexual male who is looking to date a male and a female. Right. Um, I've seen quite a few gay triads where it is somebody who is dating an established gay couple, but it's not, I haven't seen a lot of men, at least in my local area that are looking to get into a unicorn type of relationship. Right. And do you find like where you live in Vancouver, um, sorry, where you live in Alberta, we're from Vancouver. Um, do, do you find that there is quite a community in your area or did you find it a bit more difficult to find somebody or what did you find? So I started exploring the Edmonton area polyamory community in 2016, 2015. And there is definitely a non-monogamous community, a swing community here. There's also a polyamory community. Um, it's a common thread I've found that lots of communities, there's quite a bit of toxicity involved. It's it. I found a lot of really great things within the polyam community here. I've met a lot of really great friends. I've also seen a lot of really toxic things happen. It's kind of like going back to high school at times. <laughs> do you do you want to share like what oh, kind of you stands think out? There are all sorts of drama. <laughs> um, a frequent thing in a community group I was in was for you know new people to join the group and make posts introducing themselves, and then you would see people who had been in the community for a long time swoop in and you know basically lay claim to the new people because they've been there the longest, so they get first dibs and all sorts of awful things like Whoa. that. Um, it, it's crazy. You also got to watch a lot of relationships go through absolute hell in real time. And if you like to sit and watch drama happen without getting involved, sometimes it's pretty entertaining. <laughs> as horrible as that sounds to say. Wow. But you yeah, get to I watch bet. people I mean... make a lot of choices and you get to, if you're paying attention, you can learn from the choices that other people are making too. So right. there's, there's, there's and... pluses and minuses. <laughs> And does this usually happen on Facebook groups? Um, yeah, I've seen a lot of it happen on Facebook groups um, over the past few years with um, just the pandemic and things like that. I've taken quite a step back from yeah. my local non-monogamy community. Just I've run out of you know time to really invest into those community groups when I would rather be spending time with my family. You know, when um, my daughter's father and I ended our relationship, I moved back to the city that I'm in specifically so that I could be close to Barkley and the rest of my chosen family. So, but I mean, community groups are also a really great resource, um, especially the sex positive community where you can learn, you know, and get connected to people who have resources and have those connections to the polyam and non-monogamy community. So there's definitely a lot of positives. So don't, don't take me being a little bit bitter about people that I've met to, to dissuade you. Um, but well, this is all really good information really to start. 
Yeah. This is all really good information for people out there that may be curious or haven't thought about this. Um, just to kind of, not that it's like a warning or anything, but I think it's good to have your eyes open and to hear from other people's experiences instead of just going in, you know, naively and being like, Hey, I'm here, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Well, and you know, that's one thing. Communities like this are a magnet for people who are predatory, who will, you know, treat other human beings like fresh meat to be preyed upon. And especially, you know, depending on what you are looking for when you are starting to explore non-monogamy and what you're hoping your end result will be, if you are in an emotionally vulnerable position, you know, there's, yeah, some caution is definitely warranted for sure. I'm glad that you brought this up, the vulnerability thing, because I know there's So, okay, I'll give you an example, and I'm sure you've seen this in our community of some, the majority of women who are curious about this or seem like they're curious about this is the ones that their partner has been injured after they have already been in a relationship with them and they're not getting satisfied sexually and they kind of are thinking that they might want to branch out to something like this. Um, And a lot of the times, like when we do talk to these women or these women are sharing their experiences, they are in a very, very vulnerable spot because they, first of all, haven't have to deal with the trauma of their partner's um, accident, but they're also having issues sexually where it's like they get, you get confused. Right. And so it's, it's good that you said that because that's one of the things that these people need to look out for just the, the vulnerability of being in their situation and then going out and looking around at things like this. I, I, I like what you said. I, I think you have to be in a really good headspace to be able to navigate this properly. Right. Yes, absolutely. Honestly, one of my biggest recommendations for anybody who wants to explore non-monogamy, whether you're coming from the position of being, you know, a partner to somebody with a spinal cord injury, or, you know, you are recently single and wanting to explore because you've met someone who's polyam. Your first step really needs to be doing that self-work to make sure that you are in the healthiest position possible to be involved with somebody else. Because, yeah, if especially if you are, let's say, our WAGS community coming from the trauma from the pain from the way that your life has changed in the face of your partner being injured and having to rethink your what your entire life with them what you thought it would be is going to look like really your first step needs to be going to therapy and trying to unpack as much of that as possible because what are you have to figure out what you're really looking for are you are you are you looking for for sex? Are you looking for that deep emotional connection to, with somebody that makes you feel like your soul is on fire? You know, what are you are you looking for validation and assurance from other people that you are still sexually attractive, that you're beautiful, that you're worthy, that you are more than just your partner's caregiver? And I had mentioned earlier, you know, I've never been Barkley's caregiver because he's very independent, you know, he, so I feel a bit of guilt being in the WAGS group and seeing, you know, the struggle that a lot of you women go through where it's, it's completely life-changing. And I see people who have dealt with a lot of pain 
internalized and directed at them. And you're not just a caregiver, but you end up being, you know, somebody's whipping post or their therapist as well. And how Mm -hmm. that impacts your relationship with them. There's a lot to unpack and you need to make sure that you are doing these things for the right reasons and you know what you're looking for and think about what some of the what ifs are or what the what ifs may be. What if you date and you meet somebody who what, you know, why is going to say, well, let me, you know, let me get you away from that. Let me get you away from that. I can give you the life that you want. Well, what are you going to do? What are you going to do right. if you meet somebody who is emotionally abusive with you? Are you going to notice that? Are you going to see how somebody might be undermining your relationship with your partner, with your primary partner? You know, there's a lot of red flags that are really hard to see because they slip in so quietly. And yeah, the WAGS community is very emotionally vulnerable and it's... I don't want to scare people away either, but being willing to do that self-reflective work and to deal with the uncomfortable questions is, is a really, really important thing. I think you make some good points here as well. And we've, we have seen this, especially in the private group, a lot of women, not a lot, sorry, a few women have come forward and said that after their partner's injury, they fantasized about sort of running off with someone else or having an affair, or we even had somebody recently come on our podcast and say that her therapist recommended um, starting a secondary relationship with somebody else because of exactly what you're speaking about. Um, the the wags of SEI are vulnerable, and 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 a lot of women will say this too that you know, they miss being held or they, they miss somebody helping them out with things or doing things for them or rubbing their feet or giving them a a big hug or picking them up. So I definitely can see how there could be a bit of overlap there. Um, yeah, it's interesting. And you had spoken earlier about seeking um, advice from a therapist beforehand. And is there a particular type of therapy or therapist that you would say, um, works in this field? Um, the psychology today website, you can search for providers in your area and it works in both Canada and the U S I'm not sure about anywhere else in the world, but I would look for somebody who is trauma informed, who has experience with and is affirming of non-monogamous or LGBTQ plus relationships. But I would definitely focus on the trauma informed for a WAG of SCI who is wanting to discuss this because there's, there's a layer that that adds to things. I remember, I remember, and I can't remember how long ago I saw the post, but it was somebody in the community who's, partner who had been a previously low thoracic injury, maybe lumbar, got into a secondary accident and ended up with a high C-spine injury. And I had to shut down my computer and step away and like hyperventilate about it because I started thinking about being in that position. And it scared the absolute hell out of me. So there's, there's that extra layer of unpacking. Um, if you are somebody who hasn't quite, 
you know, had a chance to talk through your partner's injury and how it impacted you, I would start even with EMDR therapy, somebody who takes a parasympathetic approach, because especially as caregivers and as female identifying people, we very frequently tend to wear our trauma and our stresses and it impacts us physically a great deal. And then you add in things like helping your partner with transfers and things like that. So there's all of that added onto it as well. You're so eloquent in the way that you say all of this. And I'm just like in awe of like that you're actually talking about this because this is, this kind of stuff is what people really need to hear. I mean, it's all fine and dandy to say, you know, oh, let's, let's talk about polyamorous and all the good things about it. But like the fact that you really actually know how important trauma informed therapy is before you make life changing decisions. Like I see comments all the time of, you can tell these women want to run away from what they're feeling. They don't have the money. They don't have the time. They don't have the knowledge to be able to go in and say, okay, I need to process some shit myself first before I do this. They think that it's going to fix the situation and it's very subconscious. It's not like they're consciously running around saying, oh, I need to fix the situation. They're hopeless. They're stressed out to the max. They are sexually frustrated. They and what you said earlier about you know wanting attention and validation. I know even for myself at the start of my partner's injury, you're going through so many ups and downs. You don't even know who you are, and it takes a long time to recalibrate. It, it takes a long time to get back to a place where you can actually nourish yourself. It's years. And I remember at the start of my partner's injury, I felt that. I felt like I wanted someone to validate me. I felt like I needed attention. I felt like I wanted to dress up and get attention from other guys. Like it it was just, it was how I was dealing with the transition of my life from one phase to the next phase and the trauma around that. And that is literally the biggest piece of advice I could ever give anyone who is sexually frustrated or starting out thinking that they may want another relationship or they need to be satisfied in another way and they can't touch with their partner about it. All of what you said, deal with your trauma, look at yourself. Like this is trying to show you something and it completely changes how you think about your relationship. Like me working through my traumas completely changed everything about the what I thought I wanted out of my relationship. So like you had said earlier as well, you have to know what you want, but it can't fr- be, it can't come from a place of trauma because what you want from a place of trauma is not actually what you want, I would argue, right? Oh, absolutely. Um and I would also honestly say and here's a really hard thing, that drag your partner to trauma or to to trauma, drag your partner to therapy with you. You have to be able to have those open, frank conversations with them. And it's difficult. Oh, my God. It's the worst thing ever that you can imagine. You, you're you in a relationship with somebody who, you know, one would assume initially there was physicality to your relationship and your life has changed. Nobody wants to tell their partner that they're not feeling satisfied by them. And then you add the whole, you know, penis problems onto spinal cord injuries and how that affects your partner. And you need to have those conversations with them ahead of time because it's it's probably not a what if conversation. It's the what are we going to do? How are you going to feel when I meet somebody and I have a physical relationship with them? How are you going to feel about that? How are you going to react to me 
obviously attracting somebody else. How is that going to change our relationship as a couple? As a never mind the fact that you know you rely on me for caregiving. How how is that going to impact? How are your physical needs going to impact my ability to spend time with another partner? If you know we have to time physical therapy and bowel program and cathing and everything that gets added onto that from the caregiver side, how are we going to balance that with the practicality of me going out on dates with somebody? Right. Um, but and, so and, I would really say that dragging somebody to therapy to figure out all of the what ifs about that and having those guided conversations with the therapist to ask those reflective questions before you even think about bringing any other person's emotions, other human beings with real feelings, with real connections, with relationships, bringing anyone else into the equation. You have to have all of those really difficult conversations first because they're going to have to happen sooner or later. So you may as well deal with it now so that you have a starting point. And then, and then also imagine if you and this other person were out on a date and you are the primary caregiver and something happens to the person you're caring for, then both parties that are out on a date are now affected and possibly both having to leave and possibly even somehow getting involved in the caregiving themselves. Oh, absolutely. Or, and I mean, that would be for me the same thing as what would happen if, you know, your babysitter calls and your kid has fallen and is hurt. It's, it's a similar conversation. Right. Or how are you going to handle, um, body bodily fluid transfers? How are you going to handle the sexual side? How are you going to handle Mm -hmm. birth control or, you know, testing for sexually transmitted infections. How, how would you handle the risk of pregnancy? Things like that. And, you know, things that are already something that you would have to be conscious about, but when you have a partner with an injury who has been deemed medically infertile because of how their injury has impacted them, that's, that's more penis feelings to think about. And yeah, (laughs) it's, it's a lot to talk about well you're like I'm to be honest like I'm kind of shocked at how like I said eloquent earlier but you really are very very knowledgeable about navigating not only the polyamorous lifestyle but the STI lifestyle and it's just it's amazing because you clearly care a lot you know what I mean like you would think like there's Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say there's so many judgments that people have on women like you. I'm not going to lie. Like, like there's lots of judgments and I'm sure you've received a lot of them from people who don't understand your lifestyle. And I think this is a really amazing discussion to put out there because it just shows that like, not only are you an amazing speaker, but you're so compassionate, understanding, and you, you also really care about the other women in the SCI group in the wags of SCI group. And you, you said you feel a bit guilty because you don't have that caregiving element, but you know so much about it. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's mm-hmm. really commendable. We're, we're lucky to have you on. <laughs> hey, Elena. Yeah, absolutely. No, I was thinking the same thing that I think sometimes, um, 
I, I would say media and the things that we look at and the things that we take in get, paint a very different picture or um, a direct picture of what polyamory can look like and different types of relationships can look like. And I think that porn plays a big role in that. And sometimes people have these ideas of like, oh, if you're having an open relationship that it's like the pizza guy with the fireman ringing your doorbell and they're both coming in and they're just going to take over. And that's a polyam or that's a, you know, a relationship, an open relationship where it's like, or people are both part or all four partners are hooking up and that's it. And I think that what you've done here is added the, added a lot of knowledge to the emotional side of things that it's not just the physical, it's not just about, you know, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. And that's it. So I think that's really, really important as well as, talking about the caregiving side of things, which is huge. It is huge. And, uh, you know, caregivers, when we talk about caregivers, we're not just talking about spousal caregivers, but parents too. Like you said, what if your child, you know, gets hurt on the playground and all of a sudden you have to jump up and go. So then what do you do? Do you leave, you know, the partner that you're with, they care about you. Most likely they really care about you that they want to make sure that your child's okay as well. And they end up going with you as well. And then they're involved. What has living this lifestyle taught you about yourself? It's shown me that I am capable of and really good at problem solving. Um, I've had a really difficult year with the end of my relationship with my daughter's father and how that how things kind of went as our relationship split apart. But it's also shown me that I have the family that I've wanted and the, you know, the connections that I've wanted to have for myself for a very long time that I've been able to find what I need. And it's shown me that I'm capable. I found a lot of my own strength in the last year, you know, as far as my own capability as a mom, as a working woman, as a partner. Um, oh, I did remember where, we, where I was going with a prior <laughs> yeah. thought. Um, but I've, I've learned also that the type of life that I want actually meshes quite well with what is possible. I've learned a lot about open communication and about, you know, being direct with myself and then pushing myself to be direct with others instead of, you know, humming and hawing and trying to, you know, I'm a chronic people pleaser. Like I, I will absolutely throw away my own needs to make somebody else comfortable or happy. And there's a balance to be found. And I have found that it's for me with a lot of hard work, possible for me to have the things that I want, but also to feel like I'm meeting my own standards as far as being a parent and a partner go. So I found a lot of my own strength in the last few years and within my journey with polyamory. And I am very, I'm pretty open about who I am. Um, I am out to all of my family and all of my friends. You know, I have family members who I don't have a relationship with anymore for one reason or another. But I think more than anything else, I, you know, I'm looking at the questions that I have in front of me. And there were people who asked a lot of inappropriate questions when I first 
came out and my response, because I'm blunt at times, is why are you so interested in knowing about my sex life? Mm-hmm. Why does that matter to you so much? Um, and it's something that actually I was going to mention for WAGs who are trying to deal with the whole sex life and feeling feeling like a sexual human being, not, you know, and how that changes in the wake of a partner's injury as well is why, why are you so focused on what my sex life is like? And I've had, you know, people ask me questions about my partner's injury and how that impacts our sex life. I'm like, well, why does, why does that matter to you so much? But what you're looking for with non-monogamy, you know, and the whole penis problem thing, how it affects somebody psychologically to have their sex life be impacted by an injury, you know, whether it's, a connection with your partner that you are missing, you know, and you have to really try to mitigate that. Are you trying to replace something that you're missing with your partner with somebody else just to fill in that gap? Does that make sense? It does. And I think sometimes also, depending on our emotional states, we act out of without thinking, you know, sometimes we're like, Oh, whatever, I'll just move on or I'll, I'll include another person in our our relationship where you start to entertain something without really understanding the full effects of what, what that can do to your relationship. I think sometimes people think it's just like a really fun idea of exploration without understanding the full, I guess, consequences. Like you said, we are emotional beings. People have feelings and emotions. Even when, even when you say, oh, it doesn't matter. It won't be a big deal. It'll be the the fun, exciting part of the sexual exploration without understanding the full, the full scope of the consequences that can be involved. Well, and it's just as easy for somebody on the other side of it to say, well, what about the little blue pill? Well, first and foremost, with somebody with a spinal cord injury, sometimes that doesn't work or it doesn't work reliably or it gives them autonomic dysreflexia or things like that. Like there's so many more layers to it than just here's a really quick fix for a physical problem. And there are a lot of people who I've seen kind of work their way into non-monogamy because they're looking to fill in the gaps and, or they're looking to disguise problems or they're trying, it's like, it's like having a baby with somebody to save your relationship. Opening up a relationship to try to save it isn't going to work. If anything, you're just adding fuel to the fire. So That's interesting. That's a very interesting. Well, point so many people there. think that mm-hmm. so many people think that. It's just generally being a bit unconscious, right? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, as much as we want to warn people about it beforehand and, you know, tell them these are all of the things that I did that messed up my journey into polyamory, or these are the things that ended up hurting me and the things that I should have worked out for myself beforehand. At some points, you just kind of need to step back and say, okay, well, I've given you all of the information that I have I'm just going to need to sit back here and watch with my cup of tea and see how things go. You know, dark Kermit in the background. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's super, super, that's true. Yeah. Um, Well, thank you so much for all your amazing advice. I mean, we could go on forever talking about stuff, but I think you've laid a really, really good intro to, 
um, the lifestyle, your experiences, kind of the do's and the don'ts for newbies like us, right? I think this is really, really important to talk about this stuff out in the open and share the reality of what people are going through and apply it to the WEGS community. And uh, this is just, it's super informative and it's got my wheels turning. That's for sure. I think, I think everybody who's listening will probably feel that way. Right, Alina? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a lot here at first, you know, like I said, at first, at first we all want to know about the sex stuff because I I think that people are just so interested in, in that portion of it. And we get that a lot, even with, you know, having partners with SCI, like even friends, they're like, so can you like do it? Like we get that all all the time. It's the first question. It's the most common question. And of course. And then there's the, do you really want me to go into crude detail? Cause I could traumatize (laughs) you. If if you want to ask this question, then we're going to go all the way with it. But (laughs) there's no going back. (laughs) Not really necessarily the most appropriate for podcasts <laughs> yeah exactly right um so thank you so much andrea and for anybody who's listening right now if you have more questions i i can assure you we will definitely be inviting you back as a guest because there is so much to unpack here like you had mentioned if anybody has questions for andrea how can we reach you would you like to be reached yeah absolutely i'm in the wags group Andrea Gerard. Um, well, Andrea Lynn is my name. So mm-hmm. you can send me a message on Facebook um, or just through tagging me in a post on the Wags of SCI group, I think would probably be the best way to go. Perfect. I okay. am happy to answer questions about non-monogamy, about how, um, you know, we've woven it into our families, about how our families interact, because, you know, for me, that's been the biggest thing is I have an incredible family and can give my daughter the type of love that Mm. at least right now I feel like she needs because Mm. it's what I needed as a kid that's so so this has been a very empowering for me and one hell of a journey and I know some really incredible people and I make a lot of inappropriate sister wives jokes so bear that in mind (laughs) (laughs) if you're gonna shoot me a message but I'm happy to answer (laughs) questions I'm happy to talk about the sex side of things as well you know really anything amazing well and, yeah and if you would like to reach out to her via wags of sei uh, our email is wags of sei at gmail.com and brooke and i will be happy to redirect you guys to andrea and so thank you once again for coming on and sharing your time and space with us today and uh until next time take care of yourselves and love each other cheers cheers